politics without the soap opera with unfiltered constitutional conservative truth. The Conservative Review with Daniel Horowitz. And welcome back, fellow American patriots and Minutemen standing at the ready to fight for our lives, our liberty, our fortune, our sacred honor. This is your host, Daniel Horowitz, back in the house here on Wednesday, May 12th. And it is the end of the world as we know it. Certainly the end of the United States. Let's face it. At some point, it is more comforting to realize that America has died. Okay, this is not a matter of a challenge. We have more challenges than ever before. America's dead. No God-fearing person could look at the confluence of events that seems to be accelerating both in just numbers and severity on a given day and week and think this is all happenstance. This is obviously God's judgment. But as always, God's judgment comes with a degree of mercy. And God gives us opportunities to make lemons, make lemonade from those lemons. We all know that. The key for us is to have a movement of God-fearing people that first look within with introspection, repent, return to God ourselves, pray to God for guidance, and be prepared at a minute's notice to reap, harness those opportunities that God gives us. God is doing this surgery for us. You look at what's going on, and we we don't just have you know Hamas blowing up Israel, but we have Hamas in America now dancing around in Minneapolis and New York. We let all this garbage in the country. We have the most border invasions in 21 years, and those are just apprehension numbers, not those who got away. We have record crime. We have systemic anti-white racism in this country. We have licentiousness beyond belief, the breakdown of natural law, every form of natural law. Now we have inflation out of control. Record number of people dependent on government. They can't afford things on their own, and that's done by design. And the greatest tyranny of all time, when have we ever had a country that was this weak as a nation state, but the governing class was this strong in controlling the lives of the people? Mixture of China... Afghanistan and Venezuela all in one. That is what has happened to America. But through it all, through it all, there's a lot we can do to actually jujitsu that energy, like we said, the Cloward Piven strategy, and use the fact that it's gotten worse to make it better, but really to build something new. Something much better than we ever grew up with. The point is that everything we're seeing now, you can't just take it in and be like, oh, when's the next Republican election? No. At some point, you have to reach that cathartic moment and realize that the magnitude of of what we're talking about calls for something so much greater than any of us are thinking about. There's no question we need secession There's no question we need to strengthen individual movements and individual states and areas to be able to eventually break away. That is the goal. No one has explained to me how we could live harmoniously with people like this, that believe in this stuff, that are helping China as they hack our pipelines and destroy our country and the people charged with the COVID response were the ones funding the research that allowed this virus to escape. Those who believe that not wearing a mask is murder, but murder is not murder. Those who believe whites are the devil and everything must be done in society, law, economy, 
to destroy people simply because of the color of their skin. People who believe Hamas and Hezbollah and BLM and Antifa are, are like nuns, while nuns and religious people that just want to be left alone are the devil. You cannot live harmoniously with people like that. Now, folks, I don't need to tell you that if you're trying to stock up on guns and ammo, you need to get yourself a really reliable holster and tactical gun belt. I've been proud to partner with We The People Holsters for a long time. They make the finest American-made quality holsters. They have a great selection for any firearm that you have, right-handed, left-handed, inside the waistband, outside the waistband. And they all come with a money-back guarantee. Start as low as 40 bucks, but $10 off with offer code CR. Pretty much the best you can get. Really beautiful click here. I just love that draw. I mean, it, it, it's, it's perfect. You know, it has that perfect balance of security and comfort. Again, every holster and gun belt come with a lifetime guarantee. Go to wethepeopleholsters.com slash CR. That is wethepeopleholsters.com slash CR. Offer code CR. Now, folks, I want to go through all the elements of America's destruction, or as many as we can get to today, and just give a little overview of each one to the extent we have time, inflation, the Gaza situation, COVID fascism, um, Elise Stefanik, the conference elections, and crime. What we don't finish today, we'll finish tomorrow. So we got the April CPI numbers, inflation numbers, from the Bureau of Economic Analysis. And obviously it was higher than anyone thought. The index for all items minus food and energy rose 0.9% the largest monthly increase since April 1982. Obviously, if you throw food and energy in there, it's out of control. Now we have the pipeline shut down. And and mind you, it doesn't factor that in. This was April. May is going to be utterly insane because most of this occurred recently. Um, uh, Used cars and trucks rose 10% in April, the largest single one-month increase since since, uh, they started tracking that in 1953. Now, I was looking for a car, and then I had the front sight trip, and it kind of like knocked me off my game. By the time I came back, cars had gone up like $2,000. Everything I was looking for, like, Daniel, that's no longer available. And this is what happens. This is what happens when you have sickos that print trillions of dollars, throw money at people and industries have a planned economy, but not as planned as China's. It's the worst of all. So we're thrown to the wolves. It's worse than China. See, at least, you know, either you let the airlines go under or you prop them up and just keep prices under control. I'm not saying that that's sustainable, but we have the worst of all, the venture socialism. They pump up an industry and take away the check and balance of consumer behavior. So you don't have the consumer check on the provider. And they're basically going to turn every service and good into what they've already successfully done with healthcare, in that they box out the consumer to the point where any middle-income family can no longer live with dignity without a government handout. Meaning either you get the government handouts or... You're on your own for stuff that's so unaffordable, and it doesn't have to be that way. But there's one point I want to make about this inflation issue. We'll, we'll talk about it, obviously, in the coming days in greater detail, but I do want to say that a lot of people are forgetting there is one man that stood against this. Few people, but one man really did. Everyone was like, look, this is what happens when you elect Biden, but... This really, I mean, especially the inflation, this is long-term. That does not have its origins in Biden. Now, the Biden administration certainly is going to kill us on the energy front. But in general, we were at a crossroads in late March 2020. 
I can't believe we're talking about that like as if it's, what is it, almost 15 months, 14 months, 14 months ago. And they were panicking. And they were preparing trillion-dollar bills after having passed several billion-dollar bills to already deal with the pandemic that presupposed and codified into law and economy COVID as the new religion. It underwrote a lockdown. It presupposed that this is the way to deal with this when it was, it was already clear, and I was yelping about it back then, and I had Thomas Massey, Congressman Massey, on, that this is not the way to do it. It's completely voodoo. And you are going to underwrite tyranny, underwrite dependency, underwrite venture socialism, give a couple of corporations control of our economy, destroy small businesses, and obviously create inflation. Trump pushed it, signed it, called for the defeat of Thomas Massey, who stood alone as one man to try to obstruct that bill, and even call for a roll call vote, if you remember. To this day, the single worst bill to ever have passed in American history. You know, they, they say that that's the bill that recently passed, but that was bill number three or four, based on the one in March and the two others that Republicans and Trump passed, and they wanted to pass the fourth too. They just didn't like a couple of extraneous provisions in it. So let's not make this like it happened now under the Biden administration. This was sown last March and obviously exacerbated several times over last year before Biden even got into power. Now, believe me, Biden is destroying this country and his administration is in many ways, but this point, there was one man who stood against it. And another reason why I want to mention Thomas Massey today and give him his due credit for being the prophet, demanding a recorded vote, and they overrode him. To this day, there's no recorded vote on that. It was a voice vote. But I have it on good word that it wasn't just Liz Cheney who was working to defeat Thomas Massey, that the previous cycle, none other than Elise Stefanik, congresswoman from New York and the frontrunner, being pushed to take over from Liz Cheney to be this nebulous number three conference chair of the House GOP conference. She, she was recruiting, trying to recruit a female candidate against Thomas Massey in the primary. So that's the little irony there. She did the same thing Liz Cheney did. So, you know, Liz Cheney was booted today, and that's good news in a vacuum, but the dirty little secret is that the entire GOP leadership in the House, in the Senate, and in every single state, with very few exceptions, they're all Liz Cheney's. Except, to Liz's credit, not that I like her, but at least she has some balls and is willing to stand up for what she believes in. It's not what we believe in. You know, here, here she is four months after Trump's dead, politically, and she's still yelping about him and not the destruction of the country. That's all she cares about. But she stood by her guns. I will tell you, most other Republicans, beginning with McCarthy and McConnell, believe the same thing, too. They're just undocumented leftists. They're not men enough to actually stand by the convictions we know they have. The only reason why Liz Cheney got booted is because she was so blatant about it. In many ways, that's, that's a blessing in disguise. So that's what's going on with that, with the inflation. But this is always what the left wanted. And Republicans would, for years, buy into this. The class warfare, oh, yeah, yeah, we need to do this. Oh, but just a little bit less. Their health care policy was indistinguishable from the Democrats the last number of years. And they never made the case to the people that they are the ones inflating the cost of goods and services in many ways, and then come with the other hand and say, now we need a handout. This is a classic teachable moment. For those of you young homeschoolers who listen to this show, and I know we have a lot of them, very some very young kids who listen, remember, this you are living through the greatest example in American history of what happens when you think there's something called a free lunch. In my county, they're shoving free food, free meat, free this, everything from that stupid COVID bill. We can only begin to imagine what's going to occur 
And then you have, obviously, the gas shortage. So, A, you have the foreign policy aspect that our government is bought into China. You know, the difference between China and America is the Chinese government will kill off or sacrifice part of their citizenry for the broader country. They enrich themselves and empower themselves off the backs of the broad vitality of their nation. At the expense of others, of course. Our elites, they enrich and empower themselves off the carcass of America. That's what they do. They, they're not even looking out for the broad nation state, even at the expense of, expenses of the individual. They're literally looking out for themselves. And that's, that's the difference between America and China. So they don't care. They have their wealth. Things cost more, but their wealth is twice as much, so it doesn't matter. But the irony is that this is happening at a time of record oil, oil and gas production. Now, I shouldn't say record because it was going up and up and it peaked. COVID fascism took it down a peg. We're at what, like... We wound up reaching 13 million barrels a day. And now we're down to like 11. It's still like 2019 levels, which historically is is very high. But yet, we're getting hosed. And as I've noted for many years on this program, people forget what's just as important as the production and exploration of gas and, and oil. You need the refineries and the pipelines. And the left has done a great job destroying that. By the way, all for a lie. You know, global warming was the original COVID fascism. Taking natural phenomenons and thinking that we somehow could alter that. It is, it is May 12th here. May 12th. I'm not living in New Hampshire or Maine or Minnesota. This is Maryland. Mid-Atlantic. It was 41 degrees this morning, wind chill 35, May 12th. The entire May so far has been cold. All for a lie. And then you got the Gaza situation. Where we have an American government openly siding with Hamas. But then again, they side with BLM, Antifa. Everything that's evil in the world they side with. But here's the deal. There's one point I want to make about this that I think is very relevant to us here. Now, obviously, anything going on in Jerusalem, it's straight out of the Bible. The nations gather around Jerusalem to destroy it. Psalms 83. Tents of Ishmael. I mean, real stuff that that literally is just you know biblical prophecy. But I think what's very relevant here is that we have Hamas in America. One of the things I've noticed, I've said a couple times before, but it gets worse and worse. Every time you have these flare-ups in Israel, so you have in Europe massive demonstrations on behalf of the Arabs, you know, all of from all the Arabs that they let into Paris and London and you know Germany, wherever else, Belgium. And, you know, they have these anti-Israel marches, yell death to Jews. And we're all, we were always like, wow, we're glad we live across the ocean. We don't have that in America. But then it started in America, and it got more and more. And now we have full-scale violence in places like New York City and Minneapolis. This is what we have. There was actually a Jew who was beaten in New York City by a Hamas mob because we let all this crap in the country because, you know what? It wasn't enough. It wasn't enough to have record crime in this country. But instead, instead, We had to bring in the world's criminals, the world's terrorists. Obviously, many of you have seen yesterday, I already announced it, the preliminary numbers last week, but it's been published. Over 178,000 apprehensions, the most in 21 years. And again, that doesn't include 
um, what's likely well over 50,000 easily, probably 100,000 gotaways. One month, just one month. Think about who those people are coming to a city near you. And that's what it is. This is what it is. But you know what? We already have the problem here, even if we don't import it. Yesterday, many of you saw the news that this 15-year-old girl who was part of the duo that killed this cab driver, dragged his body when they you know, drove the car with him in the hanging out of the door, they accepted the plea deal, which means that when sentencing hits, the worst sentence she could get now, according to D.C. law, is in a juvenile joint until she's 15, until she's 18. Now you might say, oh, so she's transferred, right? Yeah, she's transferred to the streets when she's 18. Then some of you might remember there is, where is this? This guy, Cox. Remember Wendy Halloran, that great reporter, KUTV in Salt Lake City, talked about the fact that the parole board in the red state of Utah has now become a cesspool of social workers that do everything they can to let out violent criminals, keep them out even when they violate their parole. They lost track of 328 parolees on average each month for the last six months. So she sat down and did an interview with the governor. And he had nothing much to say. Nothing much to say. Basically, it's not acceptable. We have wonderful personnel that are working to fix the problems. We have a new director, and we'll deal with it. No agenda to say we are going to get tougher on crime and strengthen sentences. Then again, this is a guy who said he had no problem with uh, BLM. He has no problem with trannyism. He's a COVID fascist. And this is why it's not working for us. What we're doing is not working to keep slogging along with this same system, relying on this Republican Party to save us. You could tell God is forcing things to get worse. And you know what? Maybe that's what needs to happen. Part of the problem with COVID fascism is that most people are not small business owners. They work for large corporations. And if they were below a certain income threshold, they got tons of handouts last year. If they were above that threshold, you know, they're doing pretty well, working from home in, in, in America, corporate America. Zoom, 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 made everything work for them. And not enough people fought. I think this is perhaps the only thing that won't be subtle. The illegals, the national security, the crime, the COVID fascism the two-tier justice system. You can't get anyone to stand for anything. Oh, yeah, I'll send my kids out masked all day. What do I care as long as I go and earn some money? Just my kid. So many people just don't give a damn, including Trump voters. You know what? Maybe we need inflation on every last good and service. But then again, that will get jujitsu into something that won't help us if we don't have a team in place to force us to harness God's gift amidst his judgment. The staff and the rod are what comfort us in Psalms 24. And, you know, it's the rod. The punishment often is really getting us back on track to where we should have been all along. That is our job. Now, folks, we're going to change gears here in the second half of the show. Have a lot more items on crime, on COVID fascism, on the border, on humanity, civilization. So some of it we're going to have to push off till tomorrow. But I do have the man of the hour with me today. I didn't think I'd be able to get him. But as I mentioned before, Thomas Massey, congressman from northern Kentucky, was the only man to stand against the worst piece of legislation in American history that people are now beginning to understand the effects of it, except they can't trace it back to how it happened. So I figured to give us a little bit of a review from 14 months ago, we will have none other than Thomas Massey himself. Hey, Congressman, thanks for joining us. Thanks for having me on. I hate that I was right. 
but on March Jeez. 27th, I call it the singularity. March 27th is when we received word from Washington, D.C. that we should all just stay home and they were going to pass $2 trillion without so much as a vote on the floor of the House. Not even a voice vote. They were just going to unanimous consent it. And I said, number one, the Constitution does not allow that. Number two, it's a really bad idea. Nobody's read this bill. It's the biggest wealth transfer from the middle class to the upper class in the history of, or the government class in the, in the history of civilization. Uh, and this, it's just a bad idea. And we've got to vote on this thing. Even if you support it, you have to show up and vote on it. And finally, nurses, truckers, grocery store workers, they're all coming to work. Why shouldn't Congress be at work? We're some of the most protected individuals on the planet, and you're telling me we can't show up for work, follow the Constitution, and vote on this thing? I, the president was mad at me. He tweeted to throw me out yep. of the GOP, called me a third-rate grandstander for, for just standing up to this wanton abandonment of, of uh, fiscal responsibility. And so I said that day it was, it was the biggest mistake that Congress has ever made, and I believe that today uh, we've made – three or four more mistakes since then. That was the first $2 trillion that went out the yep. door. There but it was all rooted in that. That built the premise that for the first time in history, we're going to defy what D.A. Henderson wrote about how you deal with pandemics, and we're going to underwrite and codify and incentivize lockdown. So now my audience is very familiar with me talking for the last 14 months on how that caused the greatest fascism in American history that we're dealing with to this day. It is not over in most places, and even where it somewhat has abated, uh, it's still on the books that they could bring it back any time. Um, they understand the effects of lockdowns, the COVID stuff, but I want to talk more economically today. The effects we're now seeing, a lot of people were asking, Daniel, you know, like, how do you print that many trillions of dollars, which, by the way, the Republicans were fine with on all the iterations under their power. And even under this year, too, they just didn't like some of the provisions, but they generally agreed to the contour of the idea, as they always do. Um, and to the extent they oppose things, it's all when they're hopelessly out of power, not when they're in power to actually have made the difference and, and catalyzed it before the Democrats even got a hold of it. But when it comes to the economy, what are some of the effects why why did it happen now what are we seeing give us your take on the cpi report from the uh the, the department of commerce today and where you see this headed this was all predictable using microeconomics by the way not even macroeconomics microeconomics if you pay people not to work they will work less this is just you know common sense in the past, I think we've avoided uh, rampant inflation because the bad policy was just to devalue the dollar. But now what we've seen is a massive printing of the dollar, devaluation of the dollar, not a literal printing. They can't even print it this fast, as you point out, but also policies that encourage people not to work. I flew here to D.C. yesterday. I stopped in the airport at the McDonald's. Should be one of the busiest McDonald's you can imagine inside of an airport. People are in a hurry. McDonald's was not open. They had one person who showed up to work behind the counter, and they weren't going to take orders because they couldn't flip the burgers and take the orders and do everything themselves. It's insane. We're, we're going to see shortages. People wonder, oh, is the lumber supply just a temporary thing? They're, tra they're trying to say, oh, you're just picking one metric of the, the CPI, but it, housing follows that, transportation, trucks that were sold in 2018 and 2019, and people have driven them for two or three years. They're now selling for their sticker price because you can't get a truck. The truck factory in uh, Kentucky, the Ford truck factory, they placed 5,000 unfinished trucks. They're piling up at the Kentucky Speedway in the parking lot because they can't get all the parts to finish them. But they're going to keep trying to make them. You see appliance manufacturers laying off people because they can't get the chips or the parts they need. This was all predictable. And the food. Sure, but, the but Congressman, why, why didn't that happen six months ago? There's there's slack in the system. There is slack in the system. You can you can eat your seed corn for a while. <laughs> 
but then you eventually, if you've not replanted, you're not going to have anything. There's there's supply so chain. You're, so you're saying catch up. you're saying it's not just the free money, you know, just the trillions of dollars. Which you know anyone in first grade, you know, when you look at the cartoons, when I, this is how I learned about inflation. It was like a Donald Duck story or something, and uh, you saw them printing money, and you know prices went up everywhere. But you're saying it's over and beyond that. This is the actual lockdown. Even though ironically things are officially more open as long as you're wearing a diaper on your face, you know more than they were last year. But now we're paying the piper for the actual shutdown of the supply chain. Yes, and, and if you've just graduated from college, number one, is your diploma worth as much since you spent your last year virtually? If you're getting a check, is there incentive, any incentive to get into the workforce? Uh, I mean, it's just it's stacking up. It's stacking up on us. This is this is just unbelievable. And 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 again, like I don't, I watch these Republicans and they don't learn their lesson, like. What I don't know, everyone's celebrating Liz Cheney being defeated today. Now, just so everyone knows, if there's anyone who would have a personal (laughs) gripe with her more than anyone, it's you. She literally recruited a candidate to defeat you, which you, by the way, crushed like, what is it, 85 to 15 or something in in a primary. But, you know, the bottom line is, and I'm happy she's gone, but it's like, People don't realize the problem's not Liz Cheney. She's not a bug in the GOP. She's a feature of it. The, yes. Everyone in leadership, in every GOP state, in national state, they're all like that. You know, to me, um, and, and I certainly don't agree with the crazy impeachment of the of the president, um, but but to me, her statements about Fauci and masks and lockdown are even more offensive than that. And Republicans are like, well, if you cross Trump personally, you're not fit to be in leadership. Okay, but you shouldn't be fit to lead a a party if you're against their platform on all their major issues. And yet all these people are. And that leads me to Elise Stefanik. So now that she's gone, everyone's like, Daniel, well, you know, look, you know, you know, we can't undermine the effort. We got to show them that we're getting rid of the rhinos. All right, fine. But she's done. She's gone. Why do we now have to rush to try to find someone even more liberal than her? I'm afraid it's going to be like replacing John Boehner with Paul Ryan. And and I was a part of oh, all geez. three coup attempts, the third one working, uh, to get rid of John Boehner. Re- regretted it under Paul Ryan. He was worse than John Boehner, if you could imagine such a thing. And we're likely to get a replacement for Liz Cheney, who is, if you can believe this, less conservative than Liz Cheney and just as every bit as bad on foreign entanglements. Uh, Liz Cheney donated, as you pointed out, the maximum donation to my primary opponent, ironically, because Donald Trump was tweeting at me and she piled on with Donald Trump. Ironically, (laughs) she backed a candidate who was uh, QAnon, et cetera, et cetera. He had, you know, retweeted that stuff, the same stuff that she derides now. And she backed this candidate (laughs) because she was so upset with me for the simple act of asking for people to show up and vote. Then she later joined the lawsuit that the GOP brought against Nancy Pelosi that allowed us to vote by proxy using the same talking points that I used the day I said we should show up for work. They said, well, you can't do that because you might not have a quorum, and the Constitution requires a physical quorum. So it's so much irony, but to top it all off, they're, they're talking about replacing Liz Cheney with Elise Stefanik, who, uh, there, for which there is credible evidence she was trying to recruit a female state representative to run against me, not last cycle, but the cycle before that. We have credible evidence to that, and she t- talked to me and denied it herself, but the question is why is she going around recruiting candidates to run against sitting yep. Congressman. And, and 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 one of the mistakes I think I'm seeing some of my colleagues in conservative media make is that they're just so naive. They're like, well, Daniel, that was kind of in the past. Yeah, she's into the illegals and the trannies and, you know, voted against Trump all the time. But you know what? Um, she's really sounds good recently. But, you know, even if you would allow for some sort of uh, inflation in her, uh, yeah. yeah, yeah, some sort of evolution, um, what what they seem to miss every time is 
There's nothing so feisty as a Republican hopelessly out of power. My issue is not so much who's going to be in GOP leadership now when they're in the minority. The issue is that if Democrats continue on this path, Republicans have a pretty good shot at winning back the House. Now, what's going to have to happen is Republicans are going to have to fight like tooth and nail on the budget and, and, and must pass legislation. <laughs> How much faith do you have that that's going to happen? Exactly. You, you know where I'm headed. We've seen we've been yell, I've been writing about these budget battles when Republican had, had Republicans had control of the House from, you know, 2011 until, until last year. Right. It was the same story. Heck, they wouldn't fight on it when they had all three branches, much less if they just have the House or, you know, a nebulous rhino majority in the Senate. If they want to picking that up, too, it won't matter. But to me, that's the biggest issue that they're missing. They're all going to sound really feisty. Look at this guy shutting down the schools. And the, well, you, you supported that when you had the power to not get it off the ground. Here's, let, me, let me give you one of my pet peeves. Number one, and, and as you point out, this is not a very consequential leadership position, and even less so when, they're <laughs> in the minority, when we are in the minority. I call this position deputy vice prom queen. Nobody outside of the swamp knows that this position exists. Now, they use it, it – supposedly it's used as a stepping stone to move up to, let's say, whip and then floor leader and then maybe speaker. Okay, But the reality is it's, it's just not that important, but Republicans have saved it as their affirmative action position. They've decided <laughs> that only a woman could hold this position. It was a woman bef- before Liz Cheney, and they've decided it's going to be a woman after. Now, here's the here's the irony. This last election cycle was kind of the year of the Republican woman for in the House of Representatives. We had but not those women, not not those. Listen, the ones that won that are remarkable, that our GOP should be highlighting are actually the ones they didn't recruit. OK, like Yvette Harrell, conservative, Mary Miller, conservative, Kat Cannon, mm. conservative. I just mentioned to you three women that you never hear mentioned yes. by our GOP conference. You'd never hear them in the news. They are conservative. They were not recruited by the NRCC, and they won in difficult seats. Some of them didn't even get help in the general election until the last wave yeah. of polling. And the Republicans were like, oh, my gosh, here's a bunch of women who fought their way through the primary. They fought their way to raise their own money. And they're about to win. We better get in front of the parade or they're not going to like us when they get here. And so they they did, you know, come and, and help them somewhat. Uh, but and here they are and they're not being considered for this position. Oh, man. I mean, so, so look, you know, another, I've been another one Let preaching me a message. I don't want to leave oh, out sure. Victoria Sparks. She's again, another one you've never heard of. She won in a tough district in Indiana. Uh, Indianapolis, uh, way more conservative than the person, she, the woman she replaced. There's just there's a, there's a lot of these women that they should be considered for this position, but they only want to find the milk toast, weakest voting record. The GOP thinks that their formula for winning the purple district is to get a, a, a woman who's not actually conservative and they put an R by her name and to get her elected in these swing districts. When in reality. It's the conservative women who fight their way in, who actually do as well or better. And then they hold to their principles when they get elected, and you don't have to apologize for their voting record and say, well, they got us the majority. You got to cut them some slack. Oh, my gosh. I mean, this is this is the classic thing we're seeing. They have not learned their lesson. And and I I I. I hate it, Thomas. It it's like a cycle. It's going to be my entire career. I, like I'm not worried about the Republicans doing well when they're in the minority and the Democrats are so insane and they're going to be thrown out of office. They probably will be. But we're going to keep repeating this cycle of Charlie Brown and the football when they're when they're in the minority, they sound pretty close to you and you and me. I mean, yeah. they say pretty much the same things. And and that's the thing. They're suddenly against lockdowns. But, I mean, if you listen carefully, they haven't fully, you know, under, understood the lesson. Um, and and this is where we are. So I've been telling my audience – I know you gotta you got to run back to the floor. I, I've been telling my audience that 
the, the federal system is irremediably broken, right? I mean, Republicans have four to one majorities in so many state legislatures and they can't get it done there. So the notion that somehow a slim rhino majority with a Democrat president, you're going to get anything accomplished. I don't give a darn about the federal elections. But my question to you is, what could be done on a state level with economy? I've been I've been pushing a lot of ideas that we could, you know, start parallel societies, parallel legal systems, um, even within the confines of the Constitution uh, at a state level. But what do you do if you're a state when the economy is the way it is and the inflation is like it is and the spending is the way it is? We're all interconnected. I mean, what, what how do you get us back to prosperity? I, I was able to meet my old friend, Ron DeSantis, who was a member of the House. Uh, before he became governor, I saw him a couple weeks ago, and he remarked that if you had told him when he was running for governor that he would have this kind of power to destroy lives and livelihoods, he wouldn't have believed you. Like, he doesn't <laughs> think that governors should have this kind of power. Now, he's been restrained, and he's, for the most part, kept their economy open. He's leading the wave. I think this is our chance to reach young voters. The, you know, if the blue states yeah. want to keep everything shut down, but you can go on spring break and go to the beach and uh, go to a bar and do all that in Florida. And it's because they elected a Republican by less than a percent in the election. Then maybe the Republican wins by more than a percent in the next election if we set these models. But I've said that if we abandon the 50 state solution, we're going to end up with a two state solution and it's not going to be pretty. So this is another place where Republicans in Washington, D.C. go wrong. They think that if you pass another opioid bill, you know, 50 Republicans in swing districts, let's let them all when we get in the majority, let's make sure they all get an opioid bill with their name on it passed on the floor of the House. Well, oh, guess God. what? Most of that, unless you're talking about the border. OK, most of those kind of laws and treatment, for instance, it's the same argument with health care. You know, those should be state-funded, with the exception of the issues at the border. And they're passing basically health care bills when you talk about opioid treatment that should be left up to the state. So they abandon the, you know, the concept of states' rights in order to curry favor. They, there's almost nothing they won't pass. Republicans won't pass when we're in the majority. It violates the Constitution if it sounds good. And usually the the ball comes down that alley when they're in power, meaning it's not that just that the Republicans do the same thing. It's that the inception of that issue clashes with them in power and they set the tone. They could have avoided all this. They started. So, yeah, I mean, Democrats then come in because then Republicans can't win an election because they have no narrative. And they they do with it what what they want and Republicans complain about it. But people need to remember this didn't have to be this way Um, as best as we can. We got to fight it out in the states, the governorships, which is why, folks, you need to call Congressman Massey's office nationally and locally and tell him to stop wasting his time in Congress (laughs) and get him to run for governor. (laughs) Um, That is where the power is, Congressman. you know, you got an extra year there in Kentucky. You're not in cycle. Uh, the governor's up uh, in a funny year. I guess it's the year after. I'm telling you, that's where it's at. You know it's true. Um, you could be a Ron DeSantis in Kentucky. <laughs> my, Just remember that. My my hope is and prayer is that somebody who's qualified that will act like Ron DeSantis, who tr- who doesn't just talk about freedom and liberty, but understands how it translates into economic prosperity and then implements those policies. My hope is that somebody like that will run for governor in Kentucky. And we, we've got qualified candidates. I don't know. It's going to be an uphill battle. Uh, yep. But don't put me on your list, people running for <laughs> governor. Well, well to, to, to be fair, you have given me a pretty good name. We'll talk about maybe you know when, when uh, the time comes due, but there is a female legislator yep. from your congressional district uh, who I think we we like very much, but that's that's what we need to start thinking about a freedom caucus concept of a united coalition of governors. You're seeing it start very slowly 
Um, you know, Henry McMaster of South Carolina had a really good order yesterday requiring all school districts to mail out waiver forms that actually put teeth into getting rid of the mask mandate. So parents sign it, sign it, and then they cannot, um, you know, disallow mm. children in school if they're not wearing a mask. That, you know, that that's something good. There's a couple of them. But again, we should have at least 25 of them and we do not. And a lot of them are up for re-election, and they're in red states. So this is where it's got to be. we got to fight back in the states. Congressman, keep uh, standing alone. Never stop standing for us. Um, even I was worried about you at the time when you did that. I thought it was suicide. But you know what? You you won your re-election. Um, and, then, you know, again, thanks for remaining principled. Well, that's what people want. They want somebody who will fight. I was worried Donald Trump has 94% approval rating within my primary electorate. And the, the bailout bill actually had 80% approval rating among the Republican electorate in my congressional district. But for, for unknown reasons, actually, I know why, 81% of them voted for me. And it's because I am up here. Some days I'm the only one pointing out the problems with these bills. We had, not to get you too depressed, and I know you're winding this down, there was a vote recently almost nobody paid attention to that would extend the PPP program. There were only three no votes, myself, Tom McClintock, and Marjorie Taylor Greene. Where are we? How do, is it that we get up and complain about these bills, and then when there's votes to extend them, only three vote against oh, it? Oh, jeez. So I, I I don't I don't understand. It's like they complain about the lockdown, but then every leverage they have to at least rein it in, they 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 right. keep it going. This is where we are. This is where we are. Well, thanks for well, joining us hope. again. Keep us updated. There's and hope uh, God bless you. There's hope if you're the beacon and and we can get these governors together and more of them start acting like Ron DeSantis instead of like Andy Bashir. Exactly. And if more people maybe uh, follow his path and realize that the house is broken and make a career change, it's never too late. We'll uh, we'll broach that issue with you later. All right. Talk to you. All righty. Take care. Anyway, folks, that was Congressman Massey, truly one of a kind. Um, You will never, ever get him off his convictions. You know, even, you know, sometimes we'll disagree on a couple things. And he's very thoughtful. He really listens. He listens very well, but he'll ultimately do what he feels is right. I mean, you know, again, there there aren't too many people like that. And I think uh, very few people in America will ever recognize he was the man who tried to stop all this and then at least get a recorded vote. Um, that is what caused this. It didn't have to be this way. And again, I understand that this is global and you know, everyone's going crazy too, and it would have there would have been some disruption, but boy, it would have made a difference if we would have, while everyone was ramping down, we would have ramped up. Like, you know who did that? China. So that's what that um there's a lot more news on masking I did want to get to, but as I did mention with the congressman. The, the, you know, there, there was an important announcement in South Carolina. We have terrific activists there that really worked hard to pressure the governor. And this is the important thing. It's not enough just to say, hey, OK, he said the mask mandate is gone, but then it's not gone. You're going to have to work it and work it and work it and get their their administrative officials to find ways to force their hand and pry it from their dead bodies um, you can't just say, oh, we're, we're a conservative state. We don't do that here. And then it's done. Right? you got to find a way to countermand it. So I think that was good news from South Carolina governor yesterday. Uh, there's, there's some bad news from places like Missouri. Maybe we'll talk about that more tomorrow. The House voted to raise the gas tax. I'm not kidding you. I am not kidding you. At a time like this, voted to raise the gas tax. Missouri. I thought that was the one issue that the Republicans even stood for, but this is where they are. And a majority of Republicans helped, and now it's going to become law, pass a prescription drug medical surveillance program in Missouri that basically criminalizes doctors, monitors their prescriptions for opioids, when, as we noted in our shows two, three years ago, um, we actually had a doctor from Missouri on at the time, John Lilly, who wrote one of the first papers proving this, that the entirety of the drug crisis is an illicit drug crisis, criminal, illegal, alien-driven crisis. 
Um, it's an addiction crisis to to drugs. It has nothing to do with doctors legitimately prescribing. Um, th- this is part of the same trend that is preventing doctors from prescribing uh, workable treatments for COVID, the ivermectin stuff, which, by the way, there's so much good news on ivermectin coming out um, from Mexico, from other places. India is now adopting it. And, um, you know, this this is where it's at. They declared war on prescription drugs and pain patients and then ignored and exacerbated the illicit drug crisis. The Wisconsin governor's out there saying it's insane that we're not legalizing marijuana. And these same guys are making ivermectin and hydroxychloroquine and painkillers illegal and treating doctors like criminals if they prescribe them. Again, everything is backwards. The opioid crisis, so to speak, which is really an illicit drug crisis, is the same thing as COVID. Everything we should have been doing, we didn't do and and did things that exacerbated it and then did other things that misdiagnosed it and was all collateral damage without solving the issue. So anyway, we left a lot on the table, but I did want to have Congressman Massey on so you remember why prices are now going up so you know who to blame. And believe me, it ain't just Biden. Folks, spread the message far and wide. Send this show to your friends and relatives. Give us a five-star rating on iTunes. Sign up at conaction.network, conaction.network. Soon we will have a new website, and we will have a place for you to donate small donations to help fund our training for our teams um, and the website programming. Eventually, we want to have a forum divided by state on the actual website where all of you could communicate with each other so it won't have to be a Facebook page and things like that. These are some of the ideas we're working on, but folks, the important thing is to work on ideas, whatever it is, to realize that what we're doing is not working. We need to think about revolutionary-sized ideas. And with God's help, we will get that guidance. We will prevail. Till tomorrow, God bless you all. And thank you for listening.